listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon's So tonight we're going to build on what we did last week. We started with um, the first half of John 10, and we're going to add on to it tonight and do all of John 10, uh, John 10, 1 through 20. But first, we're just going to let God start the conversation, so I invite you to just close your eyes. I know it's been a long week. It's been a stressful week. It's getting cold. Um, so let's just close your eyes. Take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of the stress you carried in with you. And just one more deep, deep breath, breathing in the goodness of God, letting it fill your lungs. And a long, slow breath out, just allowing your body to relax, allowing your mind to be present, allowing yourself to be here now for this time. Father, we are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. John 10, verses 1 through 21. So very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. 
Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, Father, speak to us in the silence. Share a word, a phrase, a feeling with us tonight. part that stood out to me sort of surprised me it was the the end of 19 when the Jew said why listen to him because uh, I think that's a question that I've wondered over my lifetime and struggled with like why listen to him why so it just kind of stood out because it felt familiar to me um, and I think this this whole passage was really important for me in different seasons because when I first became a Christian, I was like a junior. I was a, grew up in a Christian home, but like my faith really became my own. I started going to church. I started like reading my Bible when I was a junior in college. And my big question at the time was like, so I'm I'm Christian, but like why? So I'm going to go to heaven. I got that box checked, but like why follow Jesus? So I'm good for like the next 50 or 60 years. Like why do I have to do anything now? Why can't I just like wait till I'm die? I die and then and then hope it all works out. Like why listen to him? Like I I've, I've got my eternal life insurance policy. Why do I have to why should I follow him now? Um because everyone when I became a Christian everyone was sort of like you do it for your eternal salvation, you do it for the hope of the future, you do it for life everlasting, which are all wonderful meaningful true things but it didn't answer my question like why follow Jesus now like why walk with him daily why listen to him why pray and I think this passage and I asked a lot of people and I never felt like I got a satisfying answer people sort of froze and they're like well because that's what we do that's what Christians do they follow Jesus Um, but I think this passage really answers that really addresses like Jesus is more than just a safety pass when you die. That you get to go to heaven and you get to spend eternity with God. That is a true and wonderful part of relationship with Jesus. But there is more available to us every single day because we have relationship with Jesus. And I think that's the part, that's why he emphasizes here, he's not just the gate, he's not just a way into heaven, but he's a good shepherd. So we don't just have to be miserable our entire lives so that we can hope for heaven when we die. We have a relationship with him every day, every moment, every season that can transform our circumstances, that can transform our situations because he's good. He's not just eternal, he's good. He's good now, he's good tomorrow, he was good yesterday. And this verse really talks about what makes him good. What makes the shepherd good? Why is he not just like any other shepherd? Why is he the good shepherd? And this passage would say he knows us, he calls us by name, he protects us, 
He's not like the hired hand who runs away. He stays, he protects, he perseveres. And then he sacrifices himself. He lays down his life for us. So I complained last week about the mixed metaphor of this passage, but I think it's a really powerful mixed metaphor that actually works together. That he's both the gate, he's the way into eternity, and he's the good shepherd. He's the way into life in abundance now and here and today. So I'll stop complaining about his mixed metaphors. And just before we really get dive into this text, I think it's important to remember like what an, a Near Eastern shepherd looks like. Cause I don't know about you guys, but when I think of a shepherd, I think of I think like a European little Irish guy with a tweed cap and his d- dogs and his staff. That the, the dogs and the, the shepherd are kind of behind them, driving them forward, um, and the dogs like yapping at their feet and sending them in a direction that they don't want to go. And that's not a Near Eastern shepherd. That's a very European model. That's a very Celtic model. Um, in a Middle Eastern, Near Eastern, um, Israeli shepherd, like Jesus would have walked in front of the sheep. So he doesn't drive them from behind. That's why he says, my sheep know my voice. They follow me. They don't follow a stranger. Because the way to lead a sheep as a shepherd was from in front. So you walk in front of them and you call them. You beckon to them. You encourage them on. And they follow you. I can't imagine a sheep. I don't know enough about sheep, but it, apparently it works. That if you call them, if they trust you, if they know you, they will follow you. And at least for me, that model of Christianity is so much more appealing. I've always pictured the Good Shepherd as like driving you from behind. And you're sort of running in the direction you're supposed to go because you're being driven in that direction. Like the dogs are nipping at your heels and you're just going because this is the direction you're being forced to go. So I really, this passage has taken on much more meaning for me, knowing that the Good Shepherd leads you, that you follow him of your own will, you follow him because you trust him, you follow him because you know him, you don't follow him out of fear, but out of trust. And for me, this makes the image much more meaningful and much more powerful, because I don't want to be driven into Christianity, I don't want to be driven into faith. I want to follow by my own volition, follow by my own trust. And so according to the passage, it says that Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows us, he protects us, and he sacrifices himself for our sake. So remember he says, starting in verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so I appreciate that, that following Jesus is not like following a celebrity, where they, you're just sort of like in mass, in pack. They never know you. They never know you by name. They never know you, um, what's unique about you, what's individual about you. The scriptures say that Jesus knows us by name, and he calls us by name. So he says, Anna, come follow me. Maggie, come follow me. Eva, come follow me. And even though there might be, there are many of us, there are millions of us who have chosen to follow, he still knows us by name, he knows our needs, he knows where he's leading us, he knows the plans, he knows the purposes, he knows the path. And to me, I don't want to follow, I don't want to be just a nameless, faceless sheep. 
I want to be known, I want to be loved, I want to be accepted. And I think that's a common experience. People long to be known, they long to be loved, they long to be accepted. Jesus is offering that. So it says, he knows us and he protects us. In verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And it's sort of a hard and unpleasant reality that not everyone who leads us protects us. And I think that is becomes more and more evident when you see, like in the news, um, leaders and media figures and even clergy who abuse the people that they lead. They know you, so they know your vulnerabilities, and they know the way to hurt you, and they take advantage of those things. And Jesus is the opposite of that. So not every leader protects us. Not every leader who knows us, who promises to lead us, protects us. And Jesus does. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our worries and our fears and our anxieties. And he doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't um, lean on them. He doesn't take advantage of them. And like you were pointing out, Anna, it, it distinguishes between like the hired man who's just there for his job. He's just there to get paid. He doesn't really care. But Jesus is not that. Jesus deeply cares. He, he doesn't just run away when it gets hard. He doesn't walk out because the wolves are coming. He puts his body in front of the wolves. He comes between to protect us. He lays down his life for him, for us. But I think what's interesting is sort of what's not said in this passage. So it doesn't say that the wolves don't attack when Jesus is there. It just says that Jesus doesn't run away. So sometimes people think, oh, he can't really be good because I've been through this suffering and I'm in this difficult situation. And so it must mean that Jesus is not really good. Because if he's good, why am I suffering? If he's good, why is there pain in the world? But I think it's important to pay attention to the fact that Scripture doesn't promise us that the wolves stop attacking just because Jesus is the shepherd. And scriptures don't, don't promise that once you follow the shepherd, you'll have no more problems, you'll have no more struggles. It will be a clear and easy and straight path into heaven. That's not what this passage says. This passage says that he'll be with us, that he'll protect us, that he'll stay with the flock, that he won't abandon us, no matter what attacks, no matter what comes, no matter what happens. So just because you're in difficult circumstances, even in this moment, even at this very time, you're feeling like, oh, God, where are you? Why aren't you here with me? Why am I alone in this? And I would just encourage you to spend some time with God and share those feelings with him because you're perceiving that he's not with you, but he very much is. You might feel alone. You might feel attacked by wolves. But the scriptures promise us that the good shepherd stays with us. The good shepherd walks with us. The good shepherd never abandons us. So no matter what circumstance you're in, don't believe the lie that Jesus has gone home and left you there alone. There's been a prayer practice that I've prayed with other people and I've done with myself that can be really powerful. Um, on, for, especially for those situations where you think, Jesus, where were you? This situation was hard. 
It was not what I expected. It was not what I wanted. Why didn't you protect me? I thought you were a good shepherd. And it's been really powerful for me and for others when you have those memories that keep coming up, like, Jesus, where were you in this? That you kind of take a minute, you sit, you remember that difficult memory, you remember that difficult situation, and then you just plainly and directly ask Jesus, where were you in this? I don't see you in this situation, in this disappointment, in this pain. Why did you leave me alone? Where were you? And often, people in prayer, people will have an experience of seeing where Jesus was. Seeing that he hadn't abandoned them. That he was beside them. That he was walking in front of them. That he was standing behind them, encouraging them on. That even in those difficult, disappointing, heartbreaking moments, Jesus was there. And I've done this prayer practice for myself. And and even just strange memories that you don't think that are important. I had a memory as a little girl. Like one of my most vivid memories is my mom being really sick. I was like four years old and my mom was really sick. And for whatever reason, my dad was at work and not coming home. So my mom said to me, like, take care of your sister. Which does not seem like a deeply traumatic memory. It shouldn't be. Probably for most people, not a deeply traumatic memory. But for me, I remember feeling terrified. Like, all of a sudden, I'm four. I have to take care of my two-year-old sister. My mom's sick. My dad's not around. Like, what am I going to do? How do I take care of this? And it's not a particularly traumatic memory. People have much more traumatic memories. But for me, it's very vivid. That fear, that anxiety, that worry, that how am I going to do this on my own? And I think it taught me a lesson that, oh, I have to do everything on my own. There's no one that's going to come and help me. I have to do it on my own. So I had a prayer session once, and the prayer leader walked me through that memory and said, ask Jesus where he is. Because that memory is very powerful for you, and it comes back, and it comes back, and it's taught you life patterns that you don't want to live out anymore. And it was very healing to me because as I did the prayer practice, it became very clear that Jesus was standing next to me. He had his hand on my shoulder. Even though I'm four, who cares what a four-year-old, who thinks that four-year-old has a very active relationship with God? But he was there, and he walked with me, and it was fine, and my mom was fine, and my dad was fine, and I didn't kill my sister, which is a huge success. But it was a very vivid memory and a very real moment where I felt like Jesus hadn't supported me. And he had. He had been there. I just didn't see him. I didn't perceive him. And I would suspect that that's true for a lot of us. In those, in those heavy moments, he's there and we just don't see him. We just don't perceive him. So he's a good shepherd. He knows us. He protects us. And he sacrifices himself for our sake. In verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And this is what we celebrate in communion every week. That's why we do communion weekly here. Because we want to remember and celebrate that Jesus laid down his life of his own accord for our benefit and for our sake. That he willingly, lovingly, obediently submitted to public beating, public shame, public torture. So that we wouldn't have to. And I'm with Maggie. If I were there in the scene, I'd be like, what are you talking about? What is he saying? I lay down my life, but I pick it up. Who is this crazy guy? But he's trying to let people know what's coming. He's making messianic predictions that are well past their understanding, and they can only understand in hindsight. And I think this good shepherd metaphor reminds me 
something that's sometimes easy to forget when you're when you're when you've been when you call yourself a Christian if you've been in Christian communities for a long time if you're pursuing Christianity it feels like a religion there's these things that I do these boxes that I check uh, these the church services that I go to the Bible studies that I have the friends that I pray with but this passage reminds us that Christianity isn't first and foremost a religion it's first and foremost a relationship It's first and foremost a trusting relationship with a good shepherd who leads us in the direction that we should go. And why do we follow Jesus? Why do we not just check the box and wait until we die because now we're good and going to heaven? Because there's so much more for us between now and then. That the good shepherd leads us into life in abundance. He leads us into green pastures. He leads us into places that we might not have the courage or the boldness or the resilience to go on our own. So why do we follow the Good Shepherd now? Because as the passage says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I don't know about you, but that is my hope and that is my prayer, that I would experience life to the full. For now and for the next 60 years, until I go home to Jesus. That I would experience life to the full by walking and following and trusting Jesus. When I was a grad student in the early part of my grad years, I participated in an interdisciplinary sociological research study um, that talked about why do people leave the faith. They, we researched first-hand accounts of why people said they left their faith and they left behind a relationship with God. And one of the leading factors was not believing that God was good. They looked at the sin in the world, they looked at the suffering in the world, they looked at the people who died um, through no fault of their own, from famine, from war, and they looked at their own lives, and they saw what they felt like God had abandoned them, that God hadn't been there at X situation when they needed him most. And so one of the main reasons that people lost their faith was that they didn't believe that God was good. That they didn't believe that God was a good father, that Jesus was a good shepherd, that the Holy Spirit was a good companion. And I think it's not unreasonable to get there. As you go through life, you accumulate memories and hurts and disappointments and pain. So it's, I think it's easy to get to that place of, you're not the God I thought you were. You're not good like they promised me. And so that's why I think it's really important that we spend some time just praying and bringing those difficult memories to God. So I talked about the prayer practice that I experienced that was really powerful. It was a minor memory, but it was a memory that shaped me profoundly. And I think probably each of you have one, have a memory like that. It might not be the most traumatic. It might not be, um, it might not feel hugely significant to other people. But it's a memory that comes back to you again and again and again where you felt like you were all alone, where you felt like you needed a good shepherd and he wasn't there. So what we're going to do, because we're just a a small group tonight, we're not going to go through all the reflection exercises. You're welcome to do those on your own. But I do want us to go through uh, the second one. And I encourage you to read through the reflection exercises. Do them on your own. Because we're small, we can do this together. Um, I want you to just, and I'll lead you through it, but you're welcome to have this with you, read through it. 
we're going to invite Jesus to just, maybe you already have it, or maybe Jesus is going to bring it to mind. Just a memory where you felt alone, where you needed God and he wasn't there. And I'm going to just invite you to remember that, and together we'll ask Jesus to show you where he was in that. And then, we'll, if, you, if you don't experience anything, you can just ask him again. Ask him why you're not seeing him. And then we'll thank him. So just a brief prayer exercise, but this is a good one to do. If you find yourself feeling angry, if you find yourself feeling like, God, where were you? I'm not sure that you're good anymore. Do this on your own. Practice this in your own time and your own space. So I'm just going to lead us in just a, a brief prayer exercise here. So Father, we invite you to bring to mind a memory, maybe half forgotten, when we felt alone or disappointed or discouraged or afraid, when we needed you and you weren't there for us. And when you have that memory in your mind, I just invite you to picture yourself in the scene again where you were, what you were doing, how you were feeling. And when you can picture yourself in the scene, I invite you to either verbally or just mentally say to Jesus, where are you, Jesus? Where are you in this scene? Where are you in this moment? And if you're having trouble seeing him in the scene, ask him, why am I not seeing you, Jesus? Why can't I see you? saw him or not, I would just encourage you to thank him. Thank him that he is a good shepherd. And thank him that he is with you always, whether you see him or not, whether you know him or not, whether you realize you need him or not.
And again, we've given you these steps. So do this on your own. Do this in the kind of comfort of your own room, your own apartment, your own home. And allow God to reframe some memories where you're convinced that he wasn't there. Where you're angry or hurt or upset. Allow him to show you where he was. So that you can begin to believe he's not just the good shepherd of everyone else. But he's a good shepherd for you. And if you saw him, I would just encourage you to write on your card, thank you. Thank you for showing yourself to me. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for being with me, even when I didn't realize it. And we can thank him that he has been with us on more occasions than we could ever know, where he has protected us, where he has defended us, where he has walked with us when we didn't realize. So I'll give you a minute. Um, Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for whatever is on your heart tonight. And then ask God for whatever is on your heart tonight. Whatever worries, whatever stresses, whatever pressures you came in with, don't leave without asking God to transform them. Don't leave with a heavy heart. Ask God to do the work that he's longing to do for you. When you're done, you can just put your card in the basket and we'll keep going with communion.